So what's going on, everybody? I'm just going to go straight into it with today's episode. This is another Freestyle Friday. Fourth edition of Freestyle Friday, by the way. I'm going to start it off with some of your comments and DMs. And regarding the Dim Sum episode, Jesse King wrote, I'm making my way through all the episodes today. So good. The woman's voice at the beginning of the dim sum episode, so beautiful. Thank you very much. Um, So that was Andrea O, the voice from the dim sum episode, uh, known as Six Foot Canadian on Instagram. She also did the last bit of the kanji episode, which was episode four, if you haven't heard it already. Um, What surprised me is that I asked people for sound clips of their memories for those two episodes. And what I got was a lot of really good stuff. And her memories in particular really evoke a sense of sincerity and warmth that I was really blown away by. So I was happy that and appreciative that she was able to contribute to those episodes. So thank you, Andrea. And thank you for your kind words, Jesse. Jessie is someone I, I've known for a while. Um, she was a chef who, during her career, she owned a restaurant. She's cooked with Roy O at the original Anjou. And uh, she founded a boutique creme brulee shop, Burnt to Order, if you are familiar with Burnt to Order from Crossroads Market. Um, and really, her head is full of a lot of cool ideas and concepts, and we like to brainstorm on just neat stuff. And we always have these concepts in our heads, just waiting for the right time. Um, she's also a very meticulous and detail-oriented chef who works extremely hard to get the results that she's happy with. That I've, you know, I've always noticed that she was always like that, relentless. So whenever we talk about a restaurant or a cuisine concept that I want to bring to a new audience or to a broader audience. She simply always says, you got to Dave Chang that shit. That's all she says. And I, you know, I get it. (laughs) So I appreciate it. Speaking of cool concepts, it looks like Cooking Mama is back. Uh, If you're not familiar, Cooking Mama at Cooking Mama YYC on Instagram is a Vietnamese pop-up. Uh, kitchen that posts its offerings usually uh, for weekend orders of whatever dish they want to feature. And I believe this one was uh, Ban Kun. And they started back in April 2020. This was the beginning of the you know what. And they are highly recommended if you love Vietnamese food. They've been hyped up so many times and they do sell out fast. So go follow them on Instagram and jump in as early as you can as soon as these new dishes are posted. Everything is done via a link in their profile, and you just go pick up your order at a specific time out of their AHS-approved kitchen. So let me just add that. Of course, their AHS-approved kitchen. Someone on Facebook posted their first experience with Cooking Mama recently, like in just the past week. And I was a, yeah, it was a pic of the Bancun and said what everybody's been saying and that it's incredible. Uh, you know, speaking of that 2020 thing that happened, it's good to see that a lot of great ideas that were birthed from that, I mean, it was such an uncertain time, you know, as a restaurant or any business for that matter, 
you know, and quick decisions had to be made. But I think the one thing positive that came out of that was that there was really no room or no time for for a dumb idea. Like, yeah, that, that kind of freedom and the time to try whatever. And I remember we, we started a pop-up concept of our own out of crossroads called Cow Cow, which was a Hawaiian food pop-up that we did while we ran Eats of Asia. But I mean, you know, those are times ugh, definitely don't want to repeat. So I'm really glad we can move on from that. Last week, I talked about burgers. And Bernice, my friend Bernice from Dish in the Kitchen, happy 12th anniversary to her blog, by the way, Dish in the Kitchen. If you want to check out her blog, be sure to look at it. I'll leave the link in the show notes. She DM'd me about her experience with rink burgers. She said, quote, Our local curling rinks had them, but they were pre-cooked and kept in a roaster full of hot tomato soup. They were so damn good. When I first read that, when I initially read that, I didn't read it carefully enough, and it looked like she said they sold burgers with soup. But she's saying that the patties were kept in the soup, like in tomato soup, which sounds really really good now but more so it kind of sounds like the technique that is similar to peter's technique of putting all the patties in a bath of barbecue sauce of course the soup one sounds better and whenever discussions venture into peter's driving territory there are always two camps here in calgary peter's versus boogies you're always one of those two camps and there's a third camp that says they both suck Bernice also mentioned that she wasn't a fan of smothered fries. This was going to the post I did on Class Clown with the the cheese fries and the coney fries. And it, it got me thinking that, you know, since fries are the quintessential side to burgers, they obviously have to be good, right? There's nothing more disappointing than having a really good burger and then having some mediocre or just plain terrible fries. I have favorite fries. I guess some of my favorite fries, of course, like everyone loves the McDonald's fries. And yes, they're good. They're great for, but for a very short window of time. Because after a few minutes, and it can happen that fast because they're so thin, they're no good anymore. Like they're great if you're eating them in the car on the way home. And that's when they're the best, like from right from the drive through or, you know, when you get them, you know, before the five minutes are up that window, anything after that. And they're just trash. And I've noticed that a lot of other kind of places that do skinny fries like that, like Peter's, they're terrible because sometimes they serve them in a really big serving that's too big. And then you eat a few, and then by the time you get through some of them, the rest are already bad. They're just awful. Or, um, what, did I, what was I going to say? Um, what I was going to say was I really like a crinkle-cut fries. Like the ones that we had at Class Clown were very nostalgic. And I don't know if there are a lot of places that do crinkle-cut fries. There's a few. I think CB still does crinkle-cut fries. But I really like them. 
I think my least favorite fry would probably be curly fries. Don't like curly fries. Sorry. Or you ever go to a cafe and they don't have a deep fryer, so they give you baked fries. And you know they're baked fries. Even worse, you get the baked fries that are only cooked once. So they are like floppy, kind of floppy. They have no texture. There's a Japanese word, an onomatopoeia word to describe floppy. And it's funya funya. So their fries are funya funya. It's like a pet peeve of mine. Speaking of pet peeves, I want to go into a segment about pet peeves. But before I do so, I want to let you know that my name is Jade Alcoro and you are listening to the Aimless Cook Podcast. Now, occasionally when I talk to a guest on this show, we often commiserate about some topic or another that gets us really chapped. The food industry is full of things like that. And I mean, you don't have to be working in the industry. You know, you can find many pet peeves no matter what side of the pass you're on. I wanted to do this segment because (laughs) there's a, a list of kind of things that, you know, either if you work as a chef or a server or waiter or, you know, just in the service industry, that can be really annoying. Or, on the other hand, if you're a diner or on the other side, there are also things that really can, you know, make you upset. And on the first episode, I told you a little bit about how I got from taking the first steps in this industry to opening my first restaurant. And I was writing that, as I was writing that, it dawned on me, like how many branches my life took during that journey. And I've always found that I like to try different things and that I'm never really satisfied with settling on one. So though I dread and I fear uncertainty, it always seems that taking, you know, that unbeaten path can be pretty rewarding. And I mean, there was a lot of support along the way. Of course, my wife was very supportive, and she still is. And like I said, running Eats of Asia was no exception for that because it was very rewarding, but it was also full of its harrowing episodes as well. But, you know, really it encompassed, it encompassed everything I always wanted to do in a food business. Like I was inspired by street food in the beginning and doing a concept that captured the essence of... Good food, delicious food, at a price that was accessible to everyone was something that appealed to me. And, you know, it was the perfect outlet to be creative. Now, there are a lot of people out there who would label the food that I made as fusion, a term that I can't stand. You know, you think about it. Like, if someone puts kimchi in a grilled cheese sandwich, it's probably because it tastes delicious, it's not really because they're creating a Korean-American fusion dish or they're going to call it something weird. It's not. It's, it's cooking still. It's not fusion. It's the evolution of cuisine that is taking place, that has always been taking place, that has been happening for generations. I mean, we see that with things like trade, the Silk Road, 
immigration, you know, marriage, people from different cultures having babies. This is all going to affect the way we eat and the way we cook. There's nothing about it that screams that we have to give it a buzzword. So I really don't like the buzzword. You know, there are a few folks out there who are going to make their money off their Faritos or Seasig tacos. And I mean, you know, that's fine. Let them have that fun. But yeah, it's kind of annoying. I just, I don't know. It's just cooking. And I was just reading a publication. Uh, GFS puts out a magazine. GFS is, of course, the restaurant industry wholesaler for a lot of foods, staple ingredients and things, GFS. And uh, so they put out a magazine and there was an article in it about what they call fusion, which they didn't refer to as fusion because they gave it a new name. You know what they called it? They called it chaos cooking. (sighs) So moving on. My next pet peeve is chefs who take themselves too seriously. Now I give a lot of good advice to young chefs. And the first thing I want to share is be honest with yourself and others and don't take yourself too seriously. As your career progresses and you become a young chef, you will gain confidence in things that you do. You're going to begin to understand the various ingredients, the techniques that you employ regularly, and you'll begin to show others. And I hope that you can be a good mentor to others as you grow. Uh, We are also well steeped in the age of celebrity chefs, competition shows, and the whole sportification of cooking in general. Now, chefs are becoming a lot like pro athletes and brand icons, and this can be good or bad. Um, Of course, a chef at the top of the game can be valuable to a restaurant's popularity. And, of course, it can benefit the chef as well. You may have a rewarding career. And publicity is always good. You know, it promotes business. Everybody wins. And it's good. If you have a career in this, you're making your, your reputation known, your credibility. But with that comes something hideous. And that's usually an overinflated ego. And I've seen it. Have you seen many chef portraits out there? Now, close your eyes. Unless you're driving. Don't close your eyes if you're driving. Um, Imagine the chef standing there, their arms crossed, the bib apron with leather straps, and the stone-cold face. I think it's the face that gets me the most. And I think, you know, when you look at that, you know that this is a person who takes himself very seriously too serious when I see someone like that I don't think that the first thing they're going to do is make me a an amazing farm to table dining experience I think they're going to skin me alive but you know what I mean you, you've seen it right some older chefs of course still do that like Ramsey um, but I mean, joking aside, some of the most successful, uh, skilled chefs out there are very humble people and as good as they are, they're always learning, always adapting to change and never afraid to make mistakes. And it's, it's how you learn. 
And learning is how you get better. And being humble and owning up to, you know, your mistakes is good. But and, and sharing in your successes, you know, because you have a really good team around you, you can show that you are a good chef by how well you work with others in your people. But I mean, it's not all about industry, right? Foodies also take themselves too seriously. Now, you know, I did a episode about foodies not too long ago. And I want to start it by just saying that I am not a restaurant critic. You know, I love food and everything about this business. I love to dine out. I love to talk about food with other diners and chefs and producers. I love to watch movies and television shows about food in the industry. I love to cook food both at home and in the restaurant. But most of all, I love to create. I love making a way for me to share this passion with as many people as possible who share the same interest. And yes, I would love to make money doing it. And in a sense, I have as a chef, obviously, and during my time on YouTube. And I totally intend to make money doing things like this, this podcast. But I do not want to make money doing reviews or visits. Like recently when I started my TikTok channel and posting my restaurant visits online, I've been getting numerous requests to come and visit restaurants, usually by management or the owners. And usually it happens like this. They'll offer a comp dinner, like a free dinner in exchange for, quote, my honest feedback. And I see a lot of influencers who do hosted events or who go to hosted events. And there's good ways and right ways to do that. And there's like ones that make me question credibility, especially when they go into saying dumb things like, you know, this was a hosted event, but if I were to honestly give you my opinion on this, I would totally say I would come back for this. No, you wouldn't. Really? How can I believe you when, when you just said that you had a free dinner? I cannot believe the honesty aspect of their opinion in that case. You know what I mean? So I've told restaurants, like, you know, I don't do that. And if I did come to visit you, you're not going to know I'm coming. That's the kind of fun part about it that I like, is that they don't know you're coming. Because one, I don't want to be treated any different. And two, I want to have an opinion based on what I honestly think of something. And that includes the money I spent and how I feel after I spent that money. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Because all of those things, all of those aspects contribute to an experience. And if someone just gives you a spread of food for your, quote, honest opinion, there's no way that it's going to be honest. Sorry. But, you know, I've been doing uh, food-related media. I don't know. I've just been creating... I don't like saying food-related media or content. I've been making videos for a long time. I started you know, cooking on YouTube in 2009 as a vlog. And I didn't intend to it to be a cooking channel from the beginning. It just happened that way. 
And I mean, once things got serious, I started writing scripts and doing more research on recipes that I wanted to share, mostly because I didn't want to look like an idiot, of course. But as things do happen, you learn. It takes time to learn. And there were times where I probably did look like an idiot. And looking back, and if I look at my early videos, I'd probably say, ooh, that was a bit cringy. But I leave it up there because I want to see all of those things. But most of all, I like seeing how the kids have grown up because my kids were a lot, a lot, on a lot of those old videos and we can see how they grown up or how they came up in, in uh, cooking as well. Two of my sons, they both cook now. And it's cool to see. It's cool to see where they all kind of came from. But like I said, learning, looking like an idiot, being humble, very important because it comes with the territory. If you want to be good at something, you have to fall. You have to get hurt. And I'm going to talk to my friend Bernice very soon on this, ep- on this uh, podcast about her journey with her blog. Because, like I said at the beginning of the episode, she was celebrating 12 years of her blog. And a lot of people who would hear someone say, I have a food blog, they may say, they may think, oh, yeah, you take pictures of cupcakes and put it online. No. Some people do this and it turns into a business. Like look a lot of a lot of uh like a lot of folks that I've seen on YouTube that do this have full blown businesses and are coming up with cookbooks and it's serious now. Like look at walks of life, look at cooking with Lao. These are all really good channels that have blogs that are doing cookbooks or who are doing, you know, any sort of way to raise revenue. And it's through, you know, doing cooking classes, Patreons, all sorts of things, selling merch, all of that stuff. Full-blown, serious. And Bernice, yeah, makes a full-time uh, income off of her blog now. So I, I think it'd be interesting to talk to her about that and sort of get her take on all of this as well. But back to what I was talking about. Later on, as I started to venture out and network with other people in the local food community, I met a lot of different people. So I started to network with people here in the community. So I did my my the Aimless Cook started to go talk to local businesses and we started to feature local businesses on the actual channel. And it's kind of a thing that we're going to be doing more on the podcast as well, because I want to be able to share their stories. So we're going to do that soon. But anyways, I started to venture and meet these other people. So I met chefs, I met other foodies, I met bloggers and I met Yelpers. Now, I did talk to Chanry Thatch on the Influencers episode, and we, there was like a lot of positives that came out of, of Yelp at the time. There was a good group, and at the time here in Calgary, there was a really good community leader, Wendy Peters, who brought a really good group of people together through events 
that were designed around forming community. And that's exactly what it did. And I'd met a lot of people through there. But there was this one person that I'd met who had told people that he was like a food critic, self-proclaimed food critic. And when I'd talk to friends that we've had common friends, they would talk to me like he was a food critic. So I thought that this dude was an actual food critic or a writer. And then, so of course, when I met him, I wanted to know, oh, like, who, who do you, you know, where did you write? What publications have you been doing your, your, your writing for? And it was, and then I found out it was Yelp. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, okay. I think that once certain people realize that their words or opinions are being seen or heard, that the ego, like I said, with the chefs as well, begins to swell, especially if you're starting to get, you know, engagement on it. It's really a matter of dopamine response, right? And it, what's, it, it's what happens in social media now, you know, and you can either use it, use your powers for good, as they say, or or not, you know? So that's all I got to say about foodies who take themselves too seriously. My next one is about uh, diners. It's not necessarily kind of a rant against diners, but maybe it is. Just maybe reflective of the times that we live in today. Because we have Instagram, we have Google reviews, we have such easy access to voicing opinions that people will read that it's just easier to go and start typing stuff. And what I'm talking about is people who complain about a restaurant online without even trying to tell the restaurant first. A lot of you are probably agreeing with this. And maybe there are some of you who don't. I had this... Of course, I talked about this on the Influencer episode as well. And I believe that it is a very valid argument here. When we're talking about, you know, people who write a scathing review about an experience they had somewhere. And they go straight to reviews or they go straight to Facebook on a group to complain about whatever experience they had at such and such a restaurant. And in a lot of cases, sometimes someone will pipe up and say, well, did you bring any of these issues up to the management or to your server? And usually the answer is no. There was a time when, when there was an issue with your food or whether it was part of experience or service or something that you would tell someone. And usually especially now restaurants are more than happy to address that on the spot. And if they're not, then they're fair game. That's all I got to say about that. Don't be afraid to bring up a, an issue right there. And then I had an issue with this actually not too long ago in a restaurant in Banff. 
who um, had served a dish, and there was a component. There was a. It was bannock, and when we got it, the bannock wasn't. You know, it wasn't even baked all the way through. So we brought it up. We told the server what was the issue. She took it back and then replaced it for free. And basically said, that's not the way that should have come out. I apologize. And I'm going to give you that for free. Done. Am I going to go online and, and, and complain about it? No, probably not. Because it's something that happens. And it's something they fixed. So, I mean, there you go. I did a really good uh, kind of a dim sum roundup in the last boy before I did the dim sum episode. And uh, one of the places that I went to where I went to was uh, Golden Sands. And Golden Sand had these wonderful shrimp and scallop dumplings or these assorted like uh, seafood shumai. And they have these truffles and each dumpling is a different colored skin and they arrange them so artfully in the steamer so that you get this variety of colors there's a variety of seafood selections on the top of them that they're just incredible to look at and I thought to myself that you know these seafood dumplings can go toe-to-toe with any dish in a fine dining establishment this is a testament to the fact that Chinese food price expectations have a long way to go still compared to a dish of, say, Italian handmade pasta or, you know, French food for that matter. <clears throat> now, I mean, for those of us who love dim sum, like this can be a good thing. Cheap, cheap dim sum, right? Or is it? The skill of dim sum, it takes years to master and it's slowly becoming an endangered species, as many of younger generations don't want to go through the time and effort to master a skill like that, to make dishes that need an insane amount of skill and an insane amount of speed to get out volumes that are required for something like that. Because, you know, dim sum is really made on volume. One of the biggest criticism I have is when people rant or talk or complain about a dim sum place being too expensive. Yeah, there are expensive ones or ones that are, you know, more in terms of price than other places. But it doesn't mean that they should all be cheap. There's just a stigma that all Asian food should be cheap. It should be, and it's like, you know, usually oily and you know fit for late night drinking food all that kind of stuff but like i said look at all of the skill that goes into this like this is a cutthroat industry and if anything we need to make sure we get paid what we're worth being a chef a lot of people like this is like a red seal occupation I know a lot of I know a lot of chefs, a few, who go through all of this to get, you know, accredited to be a chef de cuisine or a master chef. And though there are opportunities out there where they can get good pay and benefits, 
the truth is a lot of places out there just simply don't offer that. And they can put out really good food, but they don't pay people very well or what they're worth. And at the same time, people who critique this stuff say it's too expensive, which, you know, it troubles me. Because when was the last time you told your mechanic that, you know, their work should be 20 bucks an hour or your doctor? I want to go into some other stuff today. One of them being food epiphanies, which is my next segment here. It is short. Foods that you just discovered that, you know, you hit yourself wondering why you didn't try them sooner. This is very easy. Uh, I have a couple, actually. Uh, And it's not like really like super recent, but stuff I've tried recently, one of them was African food, in particular like Nigerian, that kind of thing. And forgive me for not knowing enough about it because I just don't, right? Um, Things like fufu, igusi, okra soup, things like that. I tried at Flavors Restaurant and the menu had a huge selection of kind of Nigerian specialties and delicacies. And honestly, I didn't know where to start. But what they did have was a couple of like signature African dinner combos that make the choosing much easier because a lot of the times I order, I'm by myself, I don't know what to do. So especially with something as new as this. So I got a combo and it consisted of goat, some okra soup and fufu and fried plantains. And it was really good. Like eating fufu is a lot like eating sticky rice. And what it is, is it's basically, if you think about it, is like uh, similar to sticky rice or mochi or mashed potatoes. So you pinch off a bit in your fingers and you kind of like make a little scoop or whatever and you dip it in your soup. You push some vegetables on it. Uh, If you are African and you, this is your thing, let me know. Tell me in the DMs. Am I doing this right? Uh, But the fufu I got was like made from pounded cassava. So the flavor texture is similar to like a really starchy mashed potato. But it was very delicious. And apparently, as I've learned later on, is the nickname for it is swallow. Because you'd not, you're not supposed to chew it. Which is kind of weird when I, when I think about that. Because, you know, your first instinct is to chew when you have food. But yeah, I'd like to see that. I want to go have dinner with someone who is very familiar with this so that I can have that experience to see. But everything was really flavorful. It's full of like kind of a complex balance of spicy and peppery, savory, umami. And I mean, the fufu is nice because it is different, you know, and it's a great way to eat soup. And if you do go out to try it, I recommend that you try flavors. There's probably a lot of other ones out there as well. You know, as far as African cuisine, I've really only had experience with um, Ethiopian food. 
And with the Ethiopian food, of course, you know, there used to be one called Marathon in Hillhurst, Sunnyside. Was it Kensington? Around that area. And I think they're gone now. But there was others like Abyssinia and stuff that have that kind of thing. And they have, you know, different types of stews and injera bread, if you ever had that. But, you know, this kind of eating this starch like this fufu is very new to me. And it was really good. So I recommend if you want to try something new and you haven't had that, definitely go try it. Another one was Pathway Burgers and Momos. You ever had Momos? This all came because my daughter was in Dublin. And when I had read about Dublin, they have a thing there called a spice bag, which is essentially their version of takeout Chinese. It is a certain dish that you get when you go, you know, for takeout Chinese food. And basically what it is, it's like a paper bag with fries or chips in that case, uh, with a, like a heavy kind of salt and pepper spice with the onions and chilies, whatnot, like a salt and pepper squid, you know, that you would get, but it's chips. And it comes usually with a curry sauce that you dump all over the chips when you rip the bag open and you just dig in. And it looked so good. But when I looked around here, uh, the closest thing I saw was, because I was craving spicy chips, was that I saw Pathway. And they have a dish called uh, chili potato. And chili potato is basically the love child of Indian and Chinese influence that was conceived in Nepal. So imagine fries tossed in a wok with green peppers, onions, chilies, and finished in a spicy, sweet, and tangy sauce. And you have chili potato. And it is the culmination of everything good about Indian and Chinese cuisine. And yes, it is very spicy. And that was in Vista Heights Industrial at Pathway Burgers and Momos. So, of course, being in Pathway Burgers and Momos, I had to try Momos, which I did. And what you do is you get, there's one that they have, it's Momo Sedeco. And they're dumplings, which are not, uh, well, they're the round dumplings that are closed on the top, not like the ones that are jiaozi, but the round ones that you just sort of pinch on the top. They're juicy, they're meaty, they're intensely flavored because they are in this wonderful spicy onion chili sauce. And they're really good. And if you go, they also have a noodle soup, which is called tukpa. And what I like to do is you get like a veggie tukpa or they have ones with chicken or pork or whatever as well, but you get the veggie one and you take your momos, the spicy momos, and you just pop the momos into the soup. And then what you get is kind of like this spicy Indo-Chinese wonton soup. And I know, but I'm just saying that it's really tasty. So that's kind of a few of the things that I've tried. So, 
last one was actually fairly recently, and this was at Tiger K in Kensington. Tiger K has this lunch menu. I think I talked about it on a past episode. But like one of the things that I just tried for the first time was the raw marinated crab. I don't remember the name of it in Korean, but it is essentially like a small, like a swimmer crab, which is similar to like a blue crab, but the shell is a lot thinner, more delicate. And essentially they're cut in half and cleaned and then put into a marinade, which can either be a uh, a simple like a soy-based marinade or a spicy one with like gochujang. So what you have is basically this bowl piled with these half crabs that are doused, not doused, enveloped. That sounds more sexy, right? Enveloped in this spicy marinade that then they give you gloves so that you go in and it's like eating, you know, peel and eat shrimp. But of course, you know, it's a crab. So there's a little bit of labor involved. And basically what you do is you kind of uh, take all of the meat that you can. Since it's raw, it's almost, it's a completely different texture than what you'd get from cooked crab. So it's not flaky, you know. It is translucent. It is uh, cool. It's very sweet. has that sweetness to it. And in contrast to the marination, which is spicy, it is addictive. It's delicious. And if you don't mind going through all of that tactile, you know, wonderful experience of going through this crab to get all of these lovely morsels out, And you need rice, by the way, I should say that. You take all of these things and you squeeze them out or pick them out and you put it on your rice and then you just eat your rice with all this stuff on top and it's delicious. So those were, those have been kind of like my food discoveries of late. Um, So yeah, do you have any recent food discoveries that you want to share? Let me know. DM me and email me at j at the aimlesscookpodcast.com and let me know So I can share it on the next episode. I'd love to know. I want to talk about local businesses. In this case, a YYC business I had the chance to visit today. And it was Little Black Rooster at Calgary Farmers Market West. Is it new? Fairly new. Yeah, it is. About seven weeks, according to chef owner Andrea Harling. If you don't know Andrea Harling, she is the co-founder of V-Burger... And she did work uh, for Made, if you know Made Foods. She did a lot of the menu for the, you know, the original launch for that company as well. But now she has a sandwich shop at Calgary Farmer's Market West. A visit to the farmer's market is like a homecoming of sorts. In each market I visit, I see familiar faces representing a certain period in the decade that I ran my place. So you can imagine how long it takes to walk a simple lap around the new CFM West when I see vendors from all three markets I've worked in. It's like trying to leave a family Christmas party where everyone is your aunt or cousin. 
Once I've caught up with everyone I haven't seen in over a year, I remember why I went all the way to Greenwich in the first place, to check out Chef Andrea Harling's new sandwich shop, Lil Black Rooster. Lil Black Rooster is the type of place that I think a few of us as chefs dream of having. It's small, it has a menu that is simple, thoughtful, and deeply reflective of our life's purpose. And it's ours. I think she says it best. Yeah, so I'm Andrea Harling. Um, we're at the Calgary Farmers Market West at Little Black Rooster, which is a sandwich shop that I just opened up uh, seven weeks ago. Um, we do really fun, kind of unique sandwiches. Um, everything is as local as possible, and um, you know, Little Black Rooster kind of stepped from something I've always wanted to do. Um, Everything that encompasses as a chef for me is like in a good sandwich. So, you know, properly toasted bread, uh, made well, good quality ingredients, all the layers kind of gives you the texture as you're biting it. Um, yeah, and then the, the freedom and creativity of being able to switch it up. We run features daily that always let us use all the local stuff that's uh, available. And So what can diners expect when they come here? I would say they can expect a good sandwich. You know, they're all they're all made with love, and uh, and we care about what we're doing. So everyone who, who works here is really passionate about it, which is which is fun. So, um, I mean, the the farmers market's a, a good location because everyone who comes here generally is okay with paying a bit more. They care about where their food comes from. They're good with with local. Um, so you know, it's generally a pretty happy place. Our staff's happy, loving what they're doing. So yeah, a good sandwich that tastes good, that is created well. The menu consists of a hot and a cold side, represented by solid interpretations of classic sandwiches like beef and cheddar, fried chicken, BLT, grilled cheese, classic Italian, to this delicious meatball sub. The meatball is a solid sandwich with a good weight to it. It consists of pork and beef meatballs and sliced mozzarella and a tangy marinara sauce that is absorbed into the hoagie bun, keeping everything interesting. The bottom bun is slathered in a fresh pesto that brings a nice bit of garlicky nuttiness with that herbal brightness that balances well with the meatballs. The arugula finishes the bite with a bit of fresh texture with that peppery signature. Now I've eaten many meatball sandwiches, which typically shock and awe, with meat, cheese, and sauce. Now many are competent, but not as personal and as calculated as this one. Simple choices like the bun selection weigh heavily in its execution. And while we're getting technical here, it's a very important detail to consider, especially when you're making a sandwich that's dressed in a hot marinara sauce. The last thing you want is a soggy mess that you end up having to suck from a wrapper like a melted freezy. Thoughtfulness and care weigh heavy in my impression of Chef Harling's offerings as they are clearly evident in the case of her little sandwich shop. Lil Black Rooster is located in Calgary Farmers Market West in Greenwich. That is the end of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. And as always, I hope you get to like this, share it with your friends, rate and review, and let me know any comments that you have, any suggestions that you have for future episodes, because I would love to hear from you. Of course, if you want to DM me while you're listening to this, feel free, because I'm always around. And yeah, so stay tuned for more episodes that will be coming up. Of course, like I said before, we're ramping up to Lunar New Year or Chinese New Year, which is a huge, most significant celebration in Asian culture. 
and we're going to be talking to some special guests that we have in store, and it's going to be really great. But in the meantime, I hope you are good to one another, you stay hungry, and best of all, we'll see you on the next one. Uh, my name is Jade El Coro, and this is the Endless Cook Podcast. Peace. Peace.